New on Curiosity Stream. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Yeehaw, cowboy! Yeehaw. Let's go. Calgary. Never been to Calgary, but somehow my interpretation of what Calgary looked like is everybody is going to the stampede 165 <laughs> days of the year. What are we gonna do? Gonna you know what? Do? If I was super cool. Yeah, it feels good though. What the of here? We got Please. a great guest today. God, what a great guest we have today. I'm so excited. I'm excited. We're gonna I learn love, something today. Yeah. We're gonna I like talking today. to him. You know what? I'm yeah. sick of talking about all the little things going on in the market. All these little things. I'm getting tired of it because it's the same old thing. Although I do have an anecdote that is indicative of the market that we are in. Let's do go. I have Let's your hear attention? it. Do I have Me your too. So last night, I'm at a, a friend's house, actually all day and all night. It was a very long day, but it was a lot of fun. Party party. So we're, we're out of this party and, you know, people are coming and going. And what ends up happening is it's like, so, you know, what do you do for a living? And this guy is a general contractor. Okay. You? I'm a lender. I do mortgages. Okay. And uh, what do you do for a living? I'm a realtor. All right, cool. And you, I'm a general contractor. All right, cool. You, you, I recognize you. Where do I know you from? What do you do for a living? I'm a realtor. So like everybody at this thing was tied to the real estate market in some way, shape or form. So anyway, so we're having a good time because everybody, you know, has something Everyone's to talk making about. making money. No, but everybody's just- Residential sales are up, baby. So at one point I have to use the lavatory. So I decide to get up. I go into the house and what's going on? These guys are on the phone. They're all talking. I'm like, hey guys, what's going on? Hey, Derek, we got this, uh, we got this deal. Really uh, stressed, depressed, like buyers backing out. It's a disaster. You want in? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to the bathroom. Like, what <laughs> the hell is going on? Tell so, me. I'm, so we're getting all into this thing and they're telling me everything. And okay. So I don't even know if I went to the bathroom, come to think of it. So, cause I got all wrapped up in the excitement of a deal. Right. And I was like, all of a sudden, like I went from like being in party mode to being in like, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's buy it. Let's buy this house. I, I, I maybe we can make it work. This show is sponsored by Landlord. All right, that TK. That was a good. That was a good little segue. Yeah, no, but I've been playing with. I've been playing with it a little bit. You know, like you got a lot of different functions. Like anybody that I've brought it to, they have you know encrypted backends. They know exactly what they're doing. The main thing is, is that you're going to get analytics on your deals to know exactly where you stand. You're going to know way more information than you would just by using an Excel spreadsheet or you know what. Honestly, the majority of investors that I know of have a very 
very vague picture where they stand with equity and cash flow and actual, you know, net dollars and return on investment. So huge system, really nice, uh, you know, layout and, and platform the way that they've got it all set up. So it's free. Check out the link, open it up, register an account, put in one of your properties, put in all your properties, analyze some deals, whatever, play with it and uh, see what you think and let us know in the comments. Well, just don't listen to us. Come to the webinars. Wednesday, June 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern time, Toronto time. We have our webinar. Uh, and also, yeah, go click on the link below and register for free and check it out. Um, so this morning I went to go look at this house, right? And so, so these people are in a really tough spot. This is great. Okay. I so I it. went there this you morning at 830 because I was like, uh, got to record the show uh, and then I got to yeah. edit like the whole day and get the thing up. I, yeah. I, I it's the only time because it's like, you need a firm offer by Monday. I walked in, first of all, reluctantly, I said to the guy that took me there, I was like, uh, I want to go in. I don't want to go in. I can tell because I like peeked over the fence and you could see like everything was so fucked up. This is a room um, in here, the first room we walk into and it's like just full of <laughs> here, shit. Here. This is bad. Okay, so hold on. So, so the story gets worse because these people are in another deal yeah. right and we're like when do you need to close the deal um we're gonna find out tomorrow from our lawyer yeah so 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 how much how much you'll get the deal done 785 when i walked into the place i turned to the realtor that i was with and i said buddy they're gonna have to give me this thing for it to make any sense yeah. Right. They're going to have yeah. to give it to me for free. Maybe even like lease busters, they're going to have to pay me some money to take it off their hands. Yeah. They want 785, not want, they need it in order to get the other deal done. That's dropping in value. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a mess, man. It is a mess. It's got like a laneway, but Isn't it's it blocked by the grocery store so nobody has access to their laneway this is nothing somebody needs to help them but it's not a it's not a help situation because the numbers can't make sense to anybody on the planet yeah it doesn't work they've yeah. destroyed the house like you can't even smell in the kitchen or you will die yeah bad okay. bad bad but anyways it's that's fucked up though isn't it yeah crazy so everybody's I looking for a deal so here that's a good insight Maybe we'll save this for, for, uh, the sharks are circling, man. The yeah. Sharks are circling. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's out there right now going to kind of got their yeah. cash in hand and they're thinking to themselves, you know what? Something's good. Going to come out of this market and I'm ready to jump on it. Oh, but when, when, when is the right time? How deep does it have to get there? Like we don't even have a recession yet. We barely even had any rate hikes like yeah like come on everybody it's not happening that quickly yeah. is it like what's going on Every, I, i'm so bloody confused right now even today when i was going to the house i was like i don't want to buy a flip right now like part way through it they're gonna like make that that flipper tax a real thing <laughs> right there goes half the profits boom yeah markets on its way down yeah, I was like, it sounds pretty like like they're in trouble. Maybe, maybe there's <laughs> maybe enough there's blood, right? But how many layers are there? Like, let's say, 
I, let's say that it is that the seller that wants to back out. So the seller's backing out of their sale. The seller's backing out of their purchase. The people that the problem, they purchase the from are fucked exactly. now, right? The and the people that. that we're planning to move and have sold yeah. are fucked now. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. we just we just oh. had one. Uh, I was told about it by on the meeting we had this week where it was like ten grand for one day or something. Like the people need people needed an extension and it was like we want a week and they were like it's twenty nine thousand dollars for the extension and they were like what so they said don't worry we'll close on closing they didn't close they had to close the next day and it ended up being 10 grand wow because of all the different layers right there's just so many different things you know this person's got a bridge that guy's got a moving truck this guy needs a hotel this person needs to like rent a car that guy's now got to get a massage yeah (laughs) like 10 grand. It's 10 grand for me to close tomorrow. I'm sorry. We just can't do it any, any, any cheaper. It's crazy. That happened to me on a deal once where we needed a little bit of time, like maybe a month. It cost me 50 grand bastards, bastards, but they knew they could do that. A commercial deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. But still you fucker. Like I'm still closing. Anyways. Yeah. 50 grand hard money. Anyways, the moment most of us don't know that we're waiting for this moment, but the moment we've all been waiting for, he's ready for us, TK. He's here. He's live. And I think, I think he actually does have a crystal ball. Perfect. I think there welcome. He is. Welcome, Mr. Foch, to the show. Look at this guy. Our highest, our is- highest, highest viewed video. Highest viewed video. Well, for a little bit, there's one creeping on your doorstep. I don't know if they're going to catch you. No. Nope. I think you're at the top. I think you've got that title because you're still getting views. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it's everybody's. I think it was was just an excellent uh, clickbait uh, thumbnail. thumbnail. You know what? They only go so far, bud. They only go so far. Yeah. the, the thumbnail gets people, some people interested, but we actually have people watching for an incredible amount of time when, you know, it's worth listening to. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that the helps the algorithm the considerably. Still pull through. Yeah. So I, I love talking to you because I'm, I was telling TK, like I'm, I'm tired of talking about all the little nitty gritty shit that everybody was right. always talking about. And, right. You no, know, you're one of the smarter guys out there. And I like talking about big picture stuff right. with you. Yeah. Our, I think our last conversation was uh, the last one ever Grande. Was it, was that the big yeah, one? Yeah, it was. I think with Jordan, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's oh, like, there was another one. No, we did another guy when you guys need a, an infill guest. So Anyone. You know what? We're always like, we're always like just chomping at the bid to ask. Yeah, exactly. To we don't want to ask like, you too often. Yeah. Every month it'll be throwing them off. Now I'm not on Twitter, right? So I'm hearing about the Twitter spaces. I'm hearing about Same the stuff still. going on there, but I, I get like a vibe from Twitter. So, cause I'm on Instagram or I'll have yeah. like, you know, I'll be reading my articles or people will Guy. post different things or tell me. So when I start hearing, what you're doing on Twitter and other yeah. places, then I know it must be big on Twitter. If I'm hearing about it, right? right like yeah. if everyone's posting about it and oh sharing these God. things. And then now when I'm reading my news, you know, I'm sipping my coffee, I'm in my house court, you know, sitting on my front porch, mostly inside. And then now I'm seeing you being quoted in the regular media. Right. Now they're coming at you saying, Hey, Foch, what do you know that other people you don't smile. know? Right? What, what is it? There it is. Yeah. 
what, this guy's what on is it? Fire, dude. You know, this guy's got 15,000 people that come to just for audio, right? Like the, the best, it's supposed to be an hour, I think, but it's like the yeah. best two and a half yeah, hours of the week. Yeah. Most of the That's time, good. it is an unbelievable place to go and like learn and be entertained and just get crazy free insights from some of the top people in the industries, man. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, I don't know, like, you know, I, I just feel really grateful that this thing came together, like, and I, I wouldn't say it's just me, like, I kind of am just the guy who hosts it, so I get most of the credit, but, you know, a lot of regular realtors and stuff like that who contribute to it, and even regular guys from the macro space, you know, Ben Rabadou and uh, others in, you know, like a lot of economists, etc. I mean, it couldn't be, like, it would never be a good, compelling conversation without people like that, and that's where I like, I, I've learned most of my stuff, right? Like the reason I started doing content in real estate was to share sort of the journey of me trying to learn just the accumulation of knowledge in, in real estate. Right. And I was like, if I'm going to do it anyway, I might as well start sharing that with people. So I did. Um, and this has been, this has been really the most profound version of that. Right. Cool. Uh, the pandemic has really been a very like accelerator on you know all these different new trends right just having yeah. you know podcasts twitter spaces yeah. different type of media outlets like everyone's just at home more people are reading more they're engaged more and we're kind of coming up to like a nice little revolution here in, in for content sure. for sure yeah no, i mean i think that's sort of what happened right is like everybody got stuck inside so we started like sharing life with one another on social media and for better or worse. But I, I think most of it seems to have been for the better. Like for me, I, I think you guys started your show during COVID, right? Like I started mine during COVID, like just was like, yeah, I'm just going to connect with people on zoom and record the meetings and see what happens. Right. And I, I mean, now here we are a couple of years later, right? Yeah. It's, it's on, it's really unbelievable and it's a lot of fun. And I wish TK would join Twitter because if you can get through all the nonsense, which there is so much nonsense on there, it's really crazy. But if you can kind of wade through, I'm probably pretty responsible for quite a bit of nonsense. But uh, like I, if I you love can seeing wade... the Frankfurt report tagged. Like people will post on different things. And I'm then just I'll, I'll look at who's tagged. And see I'm like, why are they tagging me? Like, what do I have to do with this? Uh, but so anyways, weird. like it's just it, it's such a great environment to get insights on the other side of the thinking and everything in between there, which is what I really like. I'm there to just analyze how people react to the ideas that are thrown out there and how people feel about things. Right. It's it. People are people feel strongly about some pretty like, are you have you been on there this morning? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Yeah, I, it is, you know, you can always count on a place like that to really like explore both sides of the argument. Like, you know, you're getting a full spectrum of the perspective when you're on a place like, especially Twitter, I think like uh, Reddit and TikTok and, and Twitter are all similar. And I think the reason is because they allow for anonymity, right? Like you go on Facebook or Instagram and it's not so anonymous, right? Like people are usually using it to build a brand or whatever it is. Um, and it's associated with your name, but on places where you can just like whip up an anonymous account in like two minutes flat, right? You can always count on people to go in and talk a little bit more shit, right? Because there's less consequence. Well, so, but is this good or bad? Because I mean, I, I'm, what's that? You think it's the same? No, no, I said it's tough to say, right? Like, I, I think okay. that there are certain things like you hear where it doesn't really advance the dialogue, right? Like, you know, people want to complain about things, they get stuck on one like 
small issue around something and it doesn't really it's like okay cool like what if we were to conclude that positively or negatively what would be the next logical step to us solving the, the bigger problem that you're talking about right um and i think that kind of tends to happen that's where you start to see like this cannibalism on the left and on the right right like a lot of people just arguing wasting time with one another on, on little like pedantic things right yeah definitely not getting to the core of the issue but anyways we're here to talk real estate. So let's get into the real estate market yeah. and let's let's talk about like what's going on really in the world and how it will affect our market in the future. Because like, I don't, I mean, there's a few people thinking on a bigger scale, but most people right now are kind of running scared, just trying to figure out the local level of what's going on and don't even think about what's coming down the pipe in five years or 10 years, right? They pretend like they're, you know, you know, I'm going to hang on for 10 years and then move, but that that's all that that means. There's, they're not investors. Right. So, so. Sorry. When we look at what's going on in the world with supply chains and geopolitics right now, and uh, money flows, financing, interest rates, like all DeFi, like all these crazy things are going on in the world right now. What what's your kind of like? Are you what are you long term in Canada real estate? Are you a bear or a bull? I know you've got that hat somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm long term bullish on Canadian real estate, but I think that like you know the, the primary question, and this is it, it's an easy segue from the the things you were just mentioning is is do the value of assets always go up over time, or does the value of a, does the buying power of a dollar always go down over time? Right, and I think. You know, maybe there's an element of truth in both statements, but you can it could be argued in, in either direction that that one or the other is a, is a primary source of why we see this growth in real estate, as an example. Um, and I think right now, more than ever, we're struggling with inflation in, in a way that we've never really seen it before. It's not as solvable as it has been in the past. Right. Like you know, the central banks are going to increase interest rates and that's going to do, I think, a good part of, of the, fixing the inflation problem. But I don't know if we'll actually ever get down to their target rates of like 2% as an example. I'm, I'm probably not really qualified to, to say whether or not, but I think that there are underlying issues, systemic changes that have happened as a result of COVID, supply chain erosion, you know, geopolitical issues, war, uh, economic warfare, um, that, that, can't be controlled for with just gaming an interest rate, right? And so right. We, I would expect that we're probably entering into a little bit more of an inflationary decade. Um, like, again, I don't think we're going to track at 8% forever, but I don't think we're going to track at at 2% or, or sub 2% like they want, at least for another for another 10 years. And the reason maybe and maybe that's like a little bit high, but but you know, five years, let's say, because even if you were going to solve all of the supply chain issues, that would take a complete repatriation of most of the supply chains for, you know, goods in the Western world. We don't have the capability to do that. And we don't have cheap enough labor to do that. Right. So it comes down to, can we innovate and automate our way into creating, yeah. I, I mean, a deflationary environment, right? Because innovation is deflationary. We know that like, that's like, you know, statistically verif verifiable. Right. So that's, that's sort of my take on things. And, I guess the question is, how does that impact real estate? And, and, you know, when you think about the way it impacts real estate, we know that people use a lot of borrowing power to buy real estate. So if rates are going to continue climbing as a, in an effort to curb inflation, then uh, prices are probably going to come down, right? At least in the, in the short term. 
I think eventually we'll either admit defeat against inflation or they'll have capped it well enough that, you know, they can start bringing those rates back down because we're in a, in a sort of new, you know, monetary paradigm where people are addicted to, to cheap credit and cheap goods. So I think that the sooner they can get back to that consumption machine, because I think, you know, by the end of this year, the, the recessionary environment is going to make it pretty, pretty scary for many people. Um, we'll start to see like some more material changes. And I, I think, I don't know, the way that we come out of this, out of the, the recession that's caused by all of these problems and the admission of the mistakes. Okay, I, look, we may, maybe monetar- modern monetary theory wasn't actually correct, or maybe we, maybe we didn't get to the taxation part of modern monetary theory, right? I think when we start evaluating like in, in, and doing almost like a post-mortem on what went wrong, that's when we'll start actually kind of, re- I think the world's going to look different in 10 years than it does today, right? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So, but that's assuming the position that something went wrong. Right. Depending you on your perspective on things, right? So, yeah. like, what is the goal? Like, it seems like inflation isn't something that they are really trying to fight too hard. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see when the central banks... Um, like how they behave for the next couple of, of months. Right. But I think if the bank of Canada hikes um, this Thursday or Tuesday, or sorry, Wednesday, I think they're expected to hike 50 bips. Right. I mean, that to me, that to me would signal that they're taking their mandate of controlling inflation pretty seriously. I think the feds communicated that they're taking their mandate. I think they're seriously. both, I think they're both taking it seriously. I don't think that there's any question about that. What yeah, do you so, think about inflation? Do you think right now we're at, we're at like a, like the pinnacle like do you think we're, we're still rising or you think we're going to plateau like i think that i think we're at probably at peak inflation but the challenge is that people don't realize like that or, or like you don't really think about it it's sort of hidden in plain sight but that compounds right like the cost of living isn't going anywhere anytime soon right like people are going to feel the pains of inflation we're just starting to right you're just starting to hear the story and, and it's not like inflation has been low for the past two years right like mm-hmm. it's been creeping up but it's only when it's already high and now it will start coming down but now it's like, oh shit, now things are really expensive. I like I'm being tapped out by gas. I'm really feeling it on my grocery bill, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like I just did my year end accounting for last year. And it was like, I spent almost double what I spent the year prior and my, and I didn't really change anything. Right. So consumers are, are really starting to, to catch it. Um, and to me, that's like, I don't, I don't, I think we're at probably peak inflation number. So the, the quantity year over year change, but I think we're, we're probably at, uh, just at the beginning, probably of peak inflation on the qualitative side, the psychology of inflation, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've seen a lot of the inflation actually hit the market. Like, so for example, um, in retail, where let, let's take, uh, for example, a bad boy furniture that used to be considered a low end kind of price point, right? So they've had to jump to the next price point. They're still low end, but they've had to jump an entire price point to make a margin again because of all the, the craziness going on in the world, right? Yeah. So, so, so like situations like that, which a lot of people haven't bought their stuff yet because it hasn't come in or they just haven't yeah. got around to it or they didn't close their house yet or whatever, uh, like people... Uh, like their purchases are getting more expensive, like you said, but like stuff like furniture almost doubled, like literally doubled. And like, I don't know if that's hit the CPI numbers yet. They just brought in used cars all of a sudden. Yeah. That hasn't hit the CPI numbers yet. Uh, like, I, I think, 
durable goods. I don't think durable goods are exceptionally well accounted for, right? So I think like a durable good would be, I believe it's five years, like something that you buy with the intention of keeping for a minimum of five years. It might be 10. I don't know. They think there's two different categories, but they're like a very small portion of CPI, right? Like, and the stupid part is like they continue shuffling CPI around in, in the US and in Canada. So like they yeah. can- they can really change the inflate. Like you go and tell the average Canadian that their cost of living only went up six and a half percent last year. They're going to tell you to F off. Right. Like, right. you know, like I can, like I literally did just quantify on my year end, like, like accounting statements that I spent twice as much money and my, and I maybe did 10% more input. Right. So the, the, like the, the math doesn't make sense. And that to me is a hundred percent increase in inflation, which is probably high, but like, to the average person, I think 50 plus percent wouldn't surprise them of their cost of living change in a year over year basis. Especially because of food and fuel. Those yeah. are the big two. And right? those aren't going- I'm not saying you're eating more, yeah. but no, and that's when you went thing. out, it cost you more money, right? Any of the meals and entertainment uh, you know, expenses are, are yeah. going to be higher. Uh, yeah. And the fuel is definitely, you know, we're, we're also driving more too, right? So, I mean, so, yeah, so this is- at a- home and you're not in the city all the time, you're, you're driving around. So this is the point I was trying to get to is that like I grew up in an environment where like your parents got their furniture and spent so much money when they got it that they kept it for like 20, 30 years and even had it passed down from the previous generation because it was so expensive and hard to replace. And then all of a sudden we got this globalization event that allowed people to buy a sofa for $2.99. And you know what? When it rips, who gives a fuck? I'll buy another one for $2.99, right? But now all of a sudden, $2.99 is $6.99, right? And $6.99 went to $12.99 and everything's all friggin' bananas and you still can't even get the merchandise. Like China's closed for business. Like, you know, we don't know when we're reopening. Sorry, we're closed right now. You can't get anything, but we'll take your money before we ship the container. Yeah, and I think that's an impact that hasn't really been fully realized yet, right? Like that, like those delays take a while to show up in the economy again. Um, and, and with China being like almost completely shut down now, I, again, I think these are things that we probably won't feel for, you know, two to three quarters. If, if uh, you know, and I think that when you talk about the globalization and like, to me, it's almost like it could be economic warfare. I think China is really in control here of almost everything because they control trade. Um, you know, they might just be waiting to see if they can, because like we, I think everybody knows we're going to end up in a, in a horrible recession as a result of this. The people who don't are maybe just naive or don't have the information, right? Um, so, and I, but I think China is already feeling the impact of that because they're further up the supply chain. So when they, like when demand starts to tighten or when, you know, uh, supply chains start to erode or geopolitics or credit or whatever it is starts to, to, to really create pain on one part of the supply chain, they're going to feel it first, Right. So to me, it's like if if they start gaming with that, playing with with what they can do as a result of their position, then they're kind of like almost, you know, pushing that pain or like magnifying it for people or multiplying it for people further down the supply chain. And it's like to me, they might be doing this to make sure that or, or to they're not going to reopen until everybody else is suffering as badly as they are. Right. Yeah. Like and, and from a I don't know, like from a power perspective that makes sense like I, I would understand that move right they have cur- um, they have currency yeah. issues because right now they're they're lowering their rates again because they are yeah. feeling the recession right. already so yeah. now they're going to start having currency issues and you're right it is a it is a economic war 
They have yeah. to make sure that they're still competitive with the rest of the world because mm -hmm. they've got to use the Chinese UN and they're buying a lot of stuff in US dollars again, paid in US dollars. They want to make sure that everything is, uh, yeah. you know, even playing field. So yeah. let me let me take a, a partner of mine, his business, for example. What he did in the last two years is basically bought as much stuff as he could, increased his warehouse space to fit it all, right? While bringing his supply onshore and starting yeah. to find guys who could do it competitively yeah. with the automation locally. And all of a sudden, hey, guess what? It's the same margin, right? right. And mm -hmm. you don't have to wait three months for it to come across an ocean, right? Yeah. And this guy, I mean, he's got a pretty big company, but he's not like the big companies. And those guys, um, I, those guys had to have felt this wind shifting for a while already, right? Like, how can we rely on this supply chain business? Yeah. Yeah, the, the microchips is the biggest example of that, right? Is they order yeah. just enough microchips to meet their needs. And they say, when we need more, we'll go order more. And that's just the whole type of business structure that people are uh, re, re, you know, rejigging right now to make sure that they know how to be able to compete in this market. But that's not going to be every single business will be like that, Daryl. No, but a lot of manufacturing businesses are going to come back to their homes that are rich in... Um, uh, like uh, 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 natural resources, right? And rich in the in the cheap inputs, and have like okay. Let's add another thing to the mix. Demographics in Canada are aging fairly rapidly, right? And we have a, a much smaller, younger population to kind of buoy this thing up in the future, right? So we have a lot of people we've all talked about it and we've all read stuff about the, the the labor force in the construction industry aging out right and that's not like you know there's a lot of crappy industries of labor like i mean how many mechanics are we making right now right or how many i don't know like you know how many of these hard jobs are like who do you know that does like physical labor for a living Right. Yeah, I, I think that like, you know, the, the, the challenge with repatriation of a lot of the, the cheap goods, like the, you know, your, your consumer goods is we don't have the labor force to produce those at, at the same cost. And like you're saying, like now that, now that those costs are going up, like now that the differential is changing, it does become more economically compelling to bring a lot of that back here. Uh, the challenge, like in the long term, is if you want to be able to repatriate supply chains effectively, you need wage deflation. And we're because of inflation, wage inflation is probably the next thing to follow, right? So there's a bit of an imbalance in in how and like you could end up in a situation in Canada, at least like where 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 the, the US has been for the past, you know, several decades, right? Where you have this domestic population that's almost like unfriendly to I mean not unfriendly, but like there's this cultural unwelcomingness to like migration and immigration, especially in the labor force, right? Where it's like they're taking our jobs and whatever it is, right? Like it doesn't have to be racism or whatever, but if it's economically, you, and you hear this all the time, you hear it in, in the media, you hear it in pop culture, et cetera. This idea, right, of, you know, people like illegally immigrating and, and taking jobs from American people. You're starting Tunnels to hear these, under walls. Right, yeah. And you're starting to hear these same things happening as a result of, or, or sorry, sorry in, in the Canadian um, economy as well, right? Like I think in, in the trucking industry, it's pretty common, right? There's other industries, manufacturing, et cetera. Uh, it's not hard to find people who are out willing to outwork, I would say, a, a Westerner, 
anywhere else in the world right and to do yep. it for cheaper like and, and that's just like I think that that's just a cultural thing right like we've been spoiled here and so our willingness to work is probably not not remotely as high as, as people elsewhere right and we also value you know knowledge work going to university etc education and everything is a yeah, big part of yeah. It, yeah and I think that like to me when you talk about deglobalization especially it's like that to me might have been one of the maybe the the, the mistakes that was made culturally as a result of you know westernization right like because we we like you look at um the east they don't depend on on people like they can they can have all of those things domestically they have the labor force for it they have the resources for it they have the systems built for it Um, unless it's baby formula right well but the baby (laughs) formula thing like i was just listening to a podcast on that it was because of some like there's a, there's a type of bacteria that they have to test for or something like that randomly. Like, uh, well, they're uh, in the States, in the States, one of the big, uh, yeah. manufacturers. Or something. China, Chinese for years. I've talked to a friend who's Chinese told me yeah. that people from China would come here to order baby formula just to send it back. Like that's right. been around for like a long time. Yeah. Right. So right. Don't, I don't know why. But that's, that's been going wasn't on. there yeah. like uh, gypsum in the baby formula at one point? Like, wasn't there a story that's, about that's that? Drywall? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not even kidding. That's why I heard it. Yeah. So e- either way. I'm, or maybe just... it was the other way around. Maybe it was baby formula in the drywall. Do you remember that whole Chinese drywall debacle? Did you ever buy Chinese drywall? Just no. me? No, right. no, I, I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think, so, I I think agree. the only way that the only way that we're going to start seeing that shift that Daryl's talking about, and this is kind of further, further to Dana's point is through that innovation and automation, all of a sudden we're able to create the product or service and, and labor force here locally that is going to be able to yeah. compete with the international market. And then we'll go through another wave or, where that same innovation and technology will be used overseas with a cheaper labor force. And then we'll be, yeah. it's just, this has been going on for a hundred years. It's always been. That's yeah, like, pro cyclical. It's probably like, and it's just going to keep happening until we build a computer smart enough to just take us all out. Right. Like I think that, you know, the, the, the interesting part, if you know, if you try and tie it back to real estate is, is like, when you get to that position, you it's easier to to see how or why something like a K-shaped recovery that we're going through right now is valuable to the politicians or to the you know an economic system, right? Like if eventually you divide the world into like because as you start innovating away a lot of these jobs, a lot of people just exit the workforce permanently. Like your unskilled labor as as a machine becomes more and more skilled right and like when i said oh you know take have a computer that's smart enough to take us all out i could be referring to like you know the tech technological singularity or you could be referring to on an independent basis each time a job is replaced by a computer right or or a a machine and then those people get taken out of the workforce they can either go and re-educate and try and get a new job but probably given their you know if they're unskilled labor they might just not have the economic resources to do that right so that what they're likely to do is just drop out of the workforce altogether. And then you end up with like a, a system that requires a lot of welfare, right? Or a universal basic income. And the easiest way to, to distribute that properly is to have a high amount of housing that is, you know, like almost like the way that China built housing, right? Like they have, you look at them, like some of these cities, they have like 20, 30 identical buildings, like thousands of units in each mm-hmm. building. Right. And it's like, this is where, where our working class lives. You all get the same template. You know, you can do whatever you want with it. And you know, that's what I was thinking too. It's like here, everybody come, here's a unit go. Right. Right. Like what what are they going to do with all that shit? Like it's all sitting empty in China. Yeah. Yeah. With that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there are even 
tearing some of them down. Some of them get demolished, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. which is crazy. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, they're they're just, like, they build so much more efficiently, too, right? Like, I think that they, you know, they can kind of – I, don't, I could really build really efficiently if I didn't put the whole middle in the finishes. My yeah. fir- well, that's my another first, story being my first thought. My first Here, thought they don't have to do the inside. When he's talking about the c- computer replacing us, it was a very communist thought. It was the computer should just replace the government. But I realized that that's what's happening over in China is you just have this one authoritarian right. uh, government who just gets to come in and says, all right, well, now Shanghai's had their boom and we've built up that city enough. And now we're going to go and bring the population to this new area and we're going to bring transit and we're going to bring economics and we're going to bring education and everyone's going to live over here from now. We're going to build all these towers, go move over there and we'll open up a bunch of, they have that authority because they- That's why Justin Trudeau loves their system. Did you see that clip? (laughs) I think that also like one of the things that, that people discount about China is that you know, their, their like intention is to, to institute a really perfect uh, communist state. Right. And so if you read Marxism, like Marxism is, it actually states that, you know, communism needs to be built on the foundation of a very strong capitalistic system. Right. So, you know, sort of what China did was they divided up their country into these central economic zones. So they have, I think it's eight, maybe or six between six or eight. I can't remember what it is, but those are these massive cities. And you see those pictures of like, you know, 1960 to present day. And it's just like completely, you know, uh, like, like hundred times the growth. And so, but outside of those areas, right. Like there's not, the things are, are very different. And so I, I'm curious to see sort of how exactly they plan to make that transition. But that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are, are missing as a result of this is like China's doing capitalism better than everybody else in the world. I would say like, realistically, they're, they're doing a damn good job at it. Yeah. And they are not even actually doing it for their end game to be to be capitalism, unless they realized, okay, yeah, we actually like this, and maybe we'll change our mind and just not tell anyone, which I don't think is the case, right? But, but it's so that that to me is is really interesting, that are sort of the the leaders in in capitalism globally aren't actually truly capitalist, and right? people are afraid to take advice from a communist country. They're afraid to copy a formula that's working because right. they're afraid of being called communists themselves. And that's right. like that whole pride ego thing that needs to, right. that needs to go away because there's lots of stuff from globalization that we're learning that's working. And like, even just the whole pandemic situation, it was like pointing fingers at all the different, yeah. you know, cultural differences between us and, and the far East. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. these are the things that, you know, we should have incorporated a lot sooner. And some of them we did yeah. over the pandemic. Some of them, we turned it around and said, okay, well maybe we need to do it the way that China has been doing it, fighting the pandemic, locking down all that kind yeah. of stuff. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. And and like, it's gonna, I think one of the biggest things is it's given like, because we're all sharing the same problem, like this is one of the the first times that we've been unified on solving the same thing. And I think that'll continue to happen, right? COVID was problem number one, inflation is problem number two, recession is going to be problem number three, right? It'll start to demonstrate to us the, the pros and cons of whether or not authoritarianism or democracy works, right? Like, and to me, that's one of the most interesting things, right? So, so let's say- Hot topic. Hot topic. Well, but let's, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how this ties to real estate, but let's just say for argument's sake that like it's proven that that authoritarian system works better. Okay. Yeah. Then, then what? Well, I mean, I, I guess when you want to tie it to real estate or Canadian housing, especially like, you know, our primary driver of economic growth, whether you like it or not, is housing and immigration, right? Like, and so to me, it's, and that, that might change. Like I actually am starting to see some more positive, 
progress in in the um, precious metals, battery metals, et cetera, um, commodity metals. In and so like th those things make me a little bit more bullish on Canada as our ability to grow economically, right? But um, the question really becomes: Do we still have a compelling case to for people to to immigrate here if that's our primary economic growth? Let's just assume that it is for the next decade at a minimum, right? can we sustain another 10 years of economic growth? Like, and does that mean, A, we're going to be able to attract people who can contribute economically? And I'm not saying that like from my perspective, but that's what the government, that's how the government measures whether or not people are going to be able to, or, or going to, you know, do their part or, or fit in well as economic members of the society. So that's number one, that's your immigration scoring system. But number two is culturally or economically, do those people want to come here, right? Like, so one is like, because, because right now, and, and this is, when you have immigration, like there's a correlation between um, GDP per capita and immigration, right? So you're immigrating people, but the GDP per capita is dropping. So they're actually creating a net less productive per capita basis, right? And that obviously that's bound to happen because people come here, it takes them a year or two to get landed, whatever it is, right? They don't have a job right away, or maybe they're taking, maybe they're better at a job than a Canadian person. So they're subtracting. Getting like, paid cash. Right. So, the, but so the, the problem is like when you immigrate faster than you're, than you're growing the economy, that, that downward pressure on GDP per capita is going to happen. Right. So um, it's not to say that, that people who are migrating here aren't productive, but it creates a, a net less productive outcome. And that, that breaks like the, the, the idea that immigration grows the economy. And when you talk about an aging population in Canada, right? Like these are the, the these are the problems from my perspective that we're going to be dealing with for the next several decades, right? We have 10, almost 10 million boomers approaching the age of 70 years old with a healthcare system that couldn't survive a global pandemic. I mean, to me, that's like that, that's the Vegas lights, right? It's like what what's going on here, right? And and to, and so okay, you want to bring in more people, that's great. I think that's part of the Canadian spirit. It's one of the most important parts of, of, of why Canada is what it is. But like, have we thought about what this takes as an economy? Are we creating enough jobs? Are we creating enough healthcare positions? Are we creating a strong enough healthcare system to sustain this? Or does this start to erode the quality of life in Canada? And again, then people are going to be like, screw this. I could live better back home, go back home, right? We see rumblings of that already, right? That's the conversation that's happening right now, right? It's like you've it's an idea. For, it's an idea. It's out there frequently, actually. Like I was at the uh, service Ontario getting my, my daughter, getting her license and I'm standing around and Hey, guess what topic comes up? Real estate. Right. And I'm, I'm talking to a couple of guys from Iran and anyway, so they start going like, Hey, did you notice like the washroom isn't working and the lights aren't on and the air conditioning is like, right. this is Canada. What we, this is how it is in, in Iran. Right. Like we came here for a better life. Yeah. Like, how do you guys accept this? And I was like, <laughs> like, there's yeah. no other option. Yeah. The, the right? lights will get like, the lights will get turned back on. People find go in the women's washroom, no matter <laughs> the people find ways to complain, no matter where they are. Right. So there's still a whole litany of 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 benefits to living in Canada. There's still a ton of immigration. There's no shortage yeah. of people wanting if to you move can to afford Canada. it. You can find people who want to leave afterwards. You can find people who want to go somewhere else. It's still a safe city. There's still we're never going to have a problem with attracting people to Canada. Right. And that's the thing is how you, you only have to attract this many people. Right. Okay. So is there this many people that are willing to come to Canada under yeah, these conditions? My, my challenge becomes like, is it is it 
like, yeah, we can attract the amount of people, right? But I think we've learned as a result of in interest rates increasing that it's not just the amount of people that creates the stimulation and economic growth, it's the amount of capital that those people have access to, right? And so as credit starts to, as the cost of capital starts to increase, you know, your buying power of everyone starts to come down and everybody's like, oh, prices can't come down because there's excess demand. Well, there is, there will always be excess demand for Canadian real estate, right? I agree with you completely, TK. I could find millions, billions of people in all over the world that would want to move here if, if they could, right? But the question is, can they afford to, right? New on Curiosity Stream, have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.